0: Chapter nine of the Warden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Warden by Anthony Trollope. Chapter nine. The Conference. On the following morning, the Archdeacon was with his father betimes, and a note was sent down to the Warden begging his attendance at the Palace dr grantly as he cogitated on the matter leaning back in his brigham as he journeyed into barchester felt that it would be difficult to communicate his own satisfaction either to his father or his father-in-law he wanted success on his own side and discomfiture on that of his enemies the bishop wanted peace on the subject a settled peace if possible but peace at any rate till the short remainder of his own days had spun itself out mr harding required not only success and peace but he also demanded that he might stand justified before the world the bishop however was comparatively easy to deal with and before the arrival of the other the dutiful son had persuaded his father that all was going on well and then the warden arrived it was mr harding's wont, whenever he spent a morning at the palace to seat himself immediately at the bishop's elbow the bishop occupying a huge armchair fitted up with candlesticks, a reading-table, a drawer, and other paraphernalia, the position of which chair was never moved, summer or winter. And when, as usual, the archdeacon was there also, he confronted the two elders, who thus were enabled to fight the battle against him together, and together submit to defeat, for such was their constant fate. Our warden now took his accustomed place, having greeted his son-in-law as he entered, and then affectionately inquired after his friend's health. There was a gentleness about the bishop to which the soft womanly affection of Mr. Harding particularly endeared itself, and it was quaint to see how the two mild old priests pressed each other's hand and smiled and made little signs of love. "'Sir Abraham's opinion has come at last,' began the archdeacon." Mr. Harding had heard so much, and was most anxious to know the result. "'It is quite favourable,' said the bishop, pressing his friend's arm. "'I am so glad.' Mr. Harding looked at the mighty bearer of the important news, for confirmation of these glad tidings. "'Yes,' said the Archdeacon, "'Sir Abraham has given most minute attention to the case. Indeed, I knew he would—most minute attention. And his opinion is—and—' As to his opinion on such a subject being correct, no one who knows Sir Abraham's character can doubt. His opinion is that they haven't got a leg to stand on. But as how, Archdeacon? Why, in the first place. But you're no lawyer, Warden, and I doubt you won't understand it. The gist of the matter is this. Under Hiram's will, two paid guardians have been selected for the hospital the law will say two paid servants and you and i won't quarrel with the name at any rate i will not if i'm one of the servants said mr harding a rose you know yes yes said the archdeacon impatient of poetry at such a time well two paid servants will say one to look after the men and the other to look after the money you and chadwick are these two servants and whether either of you will be paid too much or too little more or less, in fact, than the founder willed. It's as clear as daylight that no one can foul foul of either of you for receiving an allotted stipend. "'That does seem clear,' said the bishop, who had winced visibly at the words servants and stipend, which, however, appeared to have caused no uneasiness to the archdeacon." "'Quite clear,' said he, and very satisfactory. In point of fact, it being necessary to select such servants for the use of the hospital, the pay to be given to them must depend on the rate of pay for such services, according to their market value at the period in question, and those who manage the hospital must be the only judges of this.' "'And who does manage the hospital?' asked the warden oh let them find that out that's another question the action is brought against you and chadwick that's your defence and a perfect and full defence it is now that i think very satisfactory well said the bishop looking inquiringly up into his friend's face who sat silent a while and apparently not so well satisfied "'And conclusive,' continued the archdeacon, "'if they press it to a jury, which they won't do, "'no twelve men in England will take five minutes to decide against them.' "'But according to that,' said Mr. Harding, "'I might as well have sixteen hundred here as eight, "'if the managers choose to allot it to me. "'And as I am one of the managers, if not the chief manager myself, "'that can hardly be a just arrangement.' ah well all that's nothing to the question the question is whether this intruding fellow and a lot of cheating attorneys and pestilent dissenters are to interfere with an arrangement which every one knows is essentially just and serviceable to the church pray don't let us be splitting hairs and then amongst ourselves or there'll never be an end to the cause or the cost Mr. Harding again sat silent for a while, during which the bishop once and again pressed his arm, and looked in his face to see if he could catch a gleam of a contented and eased mind. But there was no such gleam, and the poor warden continued playing sad dirges on invisible stringed instruments in all manner of positions. He was ruminating in his mind on this opinion of Sir Abraham, looking to it wearily and earnestly for satisfaction, but finding none. At last he said, Did you see the opinion, archdeacon? The archdeacon said he had not that was to say he had, that was, he had not seen the opinion itself, he had seen what had been called a copy, but he could not say whether of a whole or part, nor could he say that what he had seen were the episcima verba of the great man himself, but what he had seen contained exactly the decision which he had announced, and which he again declared to be to his mind extremely satisfactory. I should like to see the opinion, said the warden, that is, a copy of it, "'Well, I suppose you can if you make a point of it, but I don't see the use myself. "'Of course, it is essential that the purport of it should not be known, "'and it is therefore unadvisable to multiply copies.' "'Why should it not be known?' asked the warden. "'What a question for a man to ask,' said the archdeacon, "'throwing up his hands in token of his surprise. "'But it is like you. A child is not more innocent than you are in matters of business.' "'Can't you see that if we tell them that no action will lie against you, but that one may possibly lie against some other person or persons, that we shall be putting weapons into their hands, and be teaching them how to cut our own throats?' The warden again sat silent, and the bishop again looked at him wistfully. "'The only thing we have now to do,' continued the archdeacon, "'is to remain quiet.' Hold our peace, and let them play their own game as they please. "'We're not to make known, then,' said the warden, "'that we have consulted the Attorney-General, "'and that we are advised by him "'that the Founder's will is fully and fairly carried out?' "'God bless my soul,' said the Archdeacon. "'How odd it is that you will not see "'that all we are to do is to do nothing. "'Why should we say anything about the Founder's will?' We are in possession, and we know that they are not in a position to put us out. Surely that is enough for the present. Mr. Harding rose from his seat and paced thoughtfully up and down the library, the bishop the while watching him painfully at every turn, and the archdeacon continuing to pour forth his convictions that the affair was in a state to satisfy any prudent mind. And the Jupiter? "'said the warden, stopping suddenly. "Ah, oh, the Jupiter,' answered the other. "'The Jupiter can break no bones. "'You must bear with that. "'There is much, of course, which it is our bounden duty to bear. "'It cannot be all roses for us here.' "'And the archdeacon looked exceedingly moral. "'Besides, the matter is too trivial, "'of too little general interest to be mentioned again in the Jupiter, "'unless we stir up the subject.' and the archdeacon again looked exceedingly knowing and worldly-wise. The warden continued his walk, the hard and stinging words of that newspaper article, each one of which had thrust a thorn, as it were, into his inmost soul, were fresh in his memory. He had read it more than once, word by word, and what was worse he fancied it was as well known to every one as to himself. Was he to be looked on as the unjust griping priest he had been there described? Was he to be pointed at as the consumer of the bread of the poor, and to be allowed no means of refuting such charges, of clearing his begrimed name, of standing innocent in the world as hitherto he had stood? Was he to bear all this? to receive as usual his now hated income, and be known as one of those greedy priests who by their rapacity have brought disgrace on their church. And why? Why should he bear all this? Why should he die, for he felt that he could not live under such a weight of obloquy? As he paced up and down the room, he resolved in his misery and enthusiasm that he could with pleasure, if he were allowed, give up his place, abandon his pleasant home, leave the hospital, and live poorly, happily, and with an unsullied name on the small remainder of his means. He was a man somewhat shy of speaking of himself, even before those who knew him best, and whom he loved the most. But at last it burst forth from him, and with a somewhat jerking eloquence he declared that he could not WOULD NOT BEAR THIS MISERY ANY LONGER. IF IT CAN BE PROVED, SAID HE AT LAST, THAT I HAVE A JUST AND HONEST RIGHT TO THIS, AS GOD WELL KNOWS I ALWAYS DEEMED I HAD, IF THIS SALARY OR STIPEND BE REALLY MY DUE, I'M NOT LESS ANXIOUS THAN ANOTHER TO RETAIN IT. I HAVE THE WELL-BEING OF MY CHILD TO LOOK TO. I'm too old to miss without some pain the comforts to which I've been used, and I am, as others are, anxious to prove to the world that I have been right and to uphold the place I have held, but I cannot do it at such a cost as this. I cannot bear this. Could you tell me to do so? And he appealed almost in tears to the bishop who had left his chair and was now leaning on the warden's arm as he stood on the further side of the table facing the archdeacon. Could you tell me to sit there at ease, indifferent and satisfied, while such things as these are said loudly of me in the world? The bishop could feel for him and sympathize with them, but he could not advise him. He could only say, no, no you shall be asked to do nothing that is painful you shall do just what your heart tells you to be right you shall do whatever you think best yourself theophilus don't advise him pray don't advise the warden to do anything which is painful but the archdeacon though he could not sympathize could advise and he saw that the time had come when it behooved him to do so in a somewhat peremptory manner why my lord "'There are two ways of giving advice. There is advice that may be good for the present day, and there is advice that may be good for days to come. Now, I cannot bring myself to give the former, if it be incompatible with the other.' "'No, no, no, I suppose not,' said the bishop, reseating himself and shading his face with his hands.' mr harding sat down with his back to the further wall playing to himself some air fitted for so calamitous an occasion and the archdeacon set out his say standing with his back to the empty fireplace it is not to be supposed but that much pain will spring out of this unnecessarily raised question we must all have foreseen that and the matter has in no wise gone on worse than we expected But it will be weak, yes, and wicked also, to abandon the cause and own ourselves wrong, because the injury is painful. It is not only ourselves we have to look to. To a certain extent, the interest of the church is in our keeping. Should it be found that one after another of those who hold preferment abandon it whenever it might be attacked, is it not plain that such attacks would be renewed till nothing was left us? and that if so deserted the Church of England must fall to the ground altogether. If this be true of many, it is true of one. Were you accused as you now are to throw up the wardenship, and to relinquish the preferment which is your property, with the vain object of proving yourself disinterested, you would fail in that object, you would inflict a desperate blow on your brother clergyman, You would encourage every cantankerous dissenter in England to make a similar charge against some source of clerical revenue, and you would do your best to dishearten those who are most anxious to defend you and uphold your position. I can fancy nothing more weak or more wrong. It is not that you think that there is any justice in these charges, or that you doubt your own right to the wardenship. You are convinced of your honesty and yet would yield to them through cowardice. Cowardice, said the bishop, expostulating. Mr. Harding sat unmoved, gazing on his son-in-law. Well, would it not be cowardice? Would he not do so, because he is afraid to endure the evil things which will be falsely spoken of him? Would not that be cowardice? And now let us see the extent of the evil which you dread." The Jupiter publishes an article which a great many, no doubt, will read, but of those who understand the subject, how many will believe the Jupiter? Everyone knows what its object is. It has taken up the case against Lord Guildford and against the Dean of Rochester, and that against half a dozen bishops. And does not one know that it would take up any case of the kind, right or wrong, false or true, with known justice or known injustice, if by doing so it could further its own views? Does not all the world know this of the Jupiter? Who that really knows you will think the worse of you for what the Jupiter says? And why care for those who do not know you? I will say nothing of your own comfort, but I do say that you could not be justified in throwing up in a fit of passion, for such it would be, the only maintenance that Eleanor has. And if you did so, if you really did vacate the wardenship and submit to ruin, what would that profit you? If you have no future right to the income, you have had no past right to it, and the very act of your abandoning your position would create a demand for repayment of that which you have already received and spent. The poor warden groaned as he sat perfectly still, looking up at the hard-hearted orator who thus tormented him, and the bishop echoed the sound faintly from behind his hands but the archdeacon cared little for such signs of weakness, and completed his exhortation. But let us suppose the office to be left vacant, and that your own troubles concerning it were over. Would that satisfy you? Are your only aspirations in the matter confined to yourself and family? I know they are not i know you are as anxious as any of us for the church to which we belong and what a grievous blow would such an act of apostasy give her you owe it to the church of which you are a member and a minister to bear with this affliction however severe it may be you owe it to my father who instituted you to support his rights you owe it to those who preceded you to assert the legality of their position You owe it to those who are to come after you to maintain uninjured for them that which you received uninjured from others, and you owe to us all the unflinching assistance of perfect brotherhood in this matter, so that upholding one another we may support our great cause without blushing and without disgrace. And so the archdeacon ceased and stood self-satisfied, watching the effect of his spoken wisdom, The warden felt himself, to a certain extent, stifled. He would have given the world to get himself out into the open air without speaking to or noticing those who were in the room with him, but this was impossible. He could not leave without saying something, and he felt himself confounded by the archdeacon's eloquence. There was a heavy, unfeeling, unanswerable truth in what he had said. There was so much practical but odious common sense in it that he neither knew how to assent or to differ. If it were necessary for him to suffer, he felt that he could endure without complaint and without cowardice, providing that he was self-satisfied of the justice of his own cause. What he could not endure was that he should be accused by others and not acquitted by himself." Doubting, as he had begun to doubt, the justice of his own position in the hospital, he knew that his own self-confidence would not be restored because Mr. Bold had been in error as to some legal form, nor could he be satisfied to escape because, through some legal fiction, he who received the greatest benefit from the hospital might be considered only as one of its servants. The archdeacon's speech had silenced him stupefied him annihilated him anything but satisfied him with the bishop it fared not much better he did not discern clearly how things were but he saw enough to know that a battle was to be prepared for a battle that would destroy his few remaining comforts and bring him with sorrow to the grave The warden still sat and still looked at the archdeacon, till his thoughts fixed themselves wholly on the means of escape from his present position, and he felt like a bird fascinated by gazing on a snake. "'I hope you agree with me,' said the archdeacon at last, breaking the dread silence. "'My lord, I hope you agree with me.' "'Oh, what a sigh!' the bishop gave. "'My lord!' "'I hope you agree with me,' again repeated the merciless tyrant. "'Yes, I suppose so,' groaned the poor old man slowly. "'And you, warden?' Mr. Harding was now stirred to action. He must speak and move, so he got up and took one turn before he answered. "'Do not press me for an answer just at present.' I will do nothing lightly in the matter, and of whatever I do, I will give you and the bishop notice. And so, without another word, he took his leave, escaping quickly through the palace hall and down the lofty steps. Nor did he breathe freely till he found himself alone under the huge elms of the silent close. Here he walked long and slowly, thinking on his case with a troubled air, and trying in vain to confute the archdeacon's argument. He then went home, resolved to bear it all, ignominy, suspense, disgrace, self-doubt and heart-burning, and to do as those would have him, who he still believed were most fit and most able to counsel him aright. End of chapter 9. Recording by Jessica Louise, St. Paul, Minnesota.